to the Manuscript Academy podcast, episode three, a conversation with editor Amanda Shee. I am Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. And this time we remembered to say our names. Yay! Small miracles. It's the advanced stuff, I tell you. <laughs> so welcome, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having me as your, is, am I the first interview? Ever. That's very exciting. I feel very special. You are special. That's why we asked you. <laughs> So first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am an assistant editor at Tartra Perigee, which is an imprint that does nonfiction at Penguin Random House. And I've been there for about three and a half years. And what do you do in your huge amounts of spare time? <laughs> um, I do, I'm kind of like a nester, so I do a lot of home stuff. I do a lot of cooking, a lot of baking. And then when I do go outside and do active things, I do yoga and I do boxing. Wow. <laughs> There's so much aggression in <laughs> You know, you take it, you take it in, you hold it in during the week, and then on Fridays I go and I hit a bag. Oh, <laughs> nice. Well, Amanda, I have a punching bag in my basement for just Is that like a like a painting in your attic except a punching bag in your basement? A punching bag. <laughs> <laughs> so Amanda, you are an editor at a big five publisher. That's not easy. How'd you make it happen? Well, um, I was a big nerd. Kind of the start of it. So I decided in probably like, I was like eighth or ninth grade. I was like, I want to edit it. And I didn't know what at the time. I think I wanted to edit magazines first because I'd seen like 13 going on 30. Nice. And like been watching like the Teen Vogue reality show. And then I did some news editing and realized in high school and in college. um, And I realized that wasn't quite for me because that's just kind of more straight copy editing. And while like I could do it, and I wasn't bad at it. It didn't excite me particularly. And then so I jumped from focusing on news. I started all my friends who were in the journalism department started doing like really fancy internships. And I went to school in New York. So they were doing it, their internships at like the New York Times and Reuters and NBC. And I was like, I got to do a cool internship. So basically I sat down one summer and just started like searching out anybody who was looking for interns who had an internship program. I didn't really know what I was doing. I emailed somebody. It turned out their office was in San Francisco, which I was not going to go to over the summer, but they were very nice about it. And then, so the first place I landed was actually at uh, what was then just Penguin USA. At the time, also, the imprint was just called Perigee. There there was a separate Tartar imprint and a separate Perigee imprint. We've since merged, but at the time it was Perigee. And then after that, I did five other internships. I did an internship at Grove Atlantic, which is a literary um, kind of medium-sized literary publisher. To I did production work at Scholastic. I did an internship um, at Gallery Books, which is commercial fiction, mostly women's fiction. And then I was at a Folio Literary Agency, uh, which is a literary management company. I was at Dutton also, um, which is back at Penguin. And then as I was leaving Dutton, I was also starting to graduate college and it just happened. So happened that somebody was leaving Perigee as I was graduating. So I just kind of slipped right in. Um, and they were nice enough to start me part-time before I even graduated because they needed me right away. So that was an interesting transition. But basically the story of this, of this is that I'm just like crazy <laughs> and just did like as much as possible. But that could have been why it worked out. Very possibly. I mean, 
I have kind of a weird path to getting where I got because I just did like the most and also had a lot of, I lucked out in a lot of ways because I just happened to be here and I had the opportunity to be here. So how did you celebrate when you got the job offer? I definitely, I texted like everyone I knew. (laughs) Um, And then I think like multiple people were like, we're we're taking you out to dinner. We're taking you out to drinks, Um, like called my parents And actually, like, the day before I got the offer, I thought I hadn't gotten it. So I had to call my parents, like, after being like, I don't think I got it. Being like, oh, I got it. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So that's so interesting. Just a follow-up question. Like, so you're in nonfiction, but with Mm -hmm. all of that background, if you weren't in nonfiction, where would you have liked to have landed? I think I wanted to land basically where, like, I would say a good 99% of people want to land when they first think about going to publishing, which is doing, you know, like the big New York Times bestselling, like the literary books, the, you know, the Man Booker winners. I wanted to do literary fiction or like, you know, serious big issue book. And then, you know, the more I worked in nonfiction, the more I realized I think I was better suited for it. Mm. What do you like about nonfiction? For me, I think it's easier to quantify, or at least it's easier to justify when you're trying to acquire a book, why you think it's going to work. Fiction can be a lot more about intangibles. Uh, It's just, you know, I love the storytelling. I love, you know, this character, X, Y, Z. Nonfiction has a lot more, it's a lot more numbers based. Um, It's a lot more platform based. It's a lot more like this is a big topic right now and here's how I can prove it. Like here are all these articles. This person has, they wrote this thing and it has this many shares. So it's easier to justify it that way. And also I think there's a little bit more room to play in like the mid list of nonfiction sometimes because it's not uh, at our imprint. You're not expected necessarily to have like the big, you know, Riverhead esque breakout New York Times bestsellers constantly. We're just kind of, the hope is to do well and consistently be profitable, but that allows us to take risks on people that we might not otherwise not be able to be if we're more of a prestige imprint. Um, Not that we're not, you know, a strong, wonderful imprint, but there's a very big difference between the kind of books that Penguin Books takes on and the kind of books that we take on. By the way, I've been reading How to Steal the Mona Lisa and really loving it. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad. That was such a fun one to edit. And it's funny how it's like, some of it seems like it could be practical advice if you did want mm-hmm. to uh, have your own art heist. And some of it, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, okay, I know you're kidding here, right? Like, you're totally yeah. kidding. They're like, just crawl right. through the vents. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. We actually, so we actually had some trouble selling this book into museum stores because <laughs> some of the buyers said, you know, like we would get responses from buyers that was like, I don't think this is like labeled as humor, but I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's humorous. <laughs> it's, it gives too much practical how to, and we're not going to stock it in our bookstore, <laughs> which is like hilarious and great in a way, but we're also like, but please take the book. <laughs> I love the one where you get a helicopter to somehow yes. carry like a two ton, the thinker, right? You're supposed yeah. to grab a helicopter and carry the thinker by sky. I thought that was pretty. Yeah, you just casually steal a helicopter. And then there's the one where you like, you have a, like a color changing car. <laughs> you somehow like dupe the like security team of the Queen of England to steal the crown jewels. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you make a <laughs> fake face to look just like the yeah. guy in charge of them. I had no idea you could print yourself a face. That's very cool. Neither did I, but apparently so. 
Yeah, lots of good stuff in nonfiction. Yeah, that's that's a that's a fun risky book. I love that. Yeah, definitely. It was great. It was really really fun to do and like lent itself to some great editorial notes like, "Hey, should you mention that there's like a person in the car that you're stealing and like stealing inside of a truck?" It's like that's probably not a great idea. Yeah. As, wow. as, as someone who, who has worked with kids for the last 20 years, I love books that were kids, you know, where they, it expands their mind in a way that's kind of twisted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My total favorite, you know, and, and that's the thing that a lot of kids that maybe aren't readers pick up. So that's just a mm-hmm. great, great product for the marketplace. What's something you've changed your mind about with your time in the industry? Literary fiction and like the prestige books are not the end all be all of this industry. I mean, they're obviously they're wonderful, um, but there's so much more to like what makes this industry tick and like what makes this industry and the books we put out like a full, well-rounded menu of things for people to choose from to satisfy different needs. So that was a big lesson. And also, I think we all have to learn the harsh reality of the fact that we actually do have to try to make money. I think we all kind of come in with a starry-eyed idea of, oh, I can just buy whatever I want and publish whatever I want and, like, anything I love I can just put out in the world and I feel so lucky. And, you know, sometimes that's true and sometimes you have to say no to things that you really love. Um, so that was definitely something I had to learn. So it's just kind of, it's not so much like changing my mind, but sort of refiguring the way I view the work and the industry. Yeah, that is that is really hard, that moment when you're like, oh, that's right, they have to sustain themselves with money. I can't just right. have all of these books that I want just because I want them. Mm-hmm. And I think we get more freedom on our side because, you know, if I spend a lot of time on something, it's just company time versus company money. So no one's mm-hmm. going to come to me with a sheet that's like, you spent this many minutes on this book that didn't sell. But you never know. I mean, there are also those bo- those books that are you're like, uh, I love this. It has no chance at all. And then it does sell. And, mm-hmm. and then it does really well. So it's it's this weird, like, not knowing and just hoping because something is awesome. Yeah. Did you also have a moment, like, do you remember maybe, like, 2006 or so, everyone wanted literary fiction? That was just what you answered when they say, what do you want to work on? Literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really... I think, I don't know what lent, lent itself to that trend. I can't, I, I couldn't put my finger on why. I mean, I, it's always kind of the thing. Because um, it's, you know, it's what gets you the awards. It's what everyone imagines when they imagine publishing the monolith. The glamorous, you know, movie-fied version of publishing is like the literary fiction and the fancy parties and the, you know, top of the New York Times bestseller list and the award ceremonies and all of that. And maybe that was kind of a peak of like a time when publishing was really being featured heavily in a lot of entertainment. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I wouldn't be surprised if that lent itself a lot to like my interest in going into publishing at some point. That was also pre-2008, which might have something to do with it. Right. Sure. I think we should find one of those parties and crash it, Amanda. (laughs) I'm always like kind of like two degrees of separation from those. (laughs) We'll get closer. I don't know. You guys are insiders speaking. I have no idea what you're, when you say those parties, what you're talking about. I, do they actually exist? I've never even like seen one. I've never seen one, but you know, you hear like whispers of like, oh, 
you know, I mean, now with Instagram, like they, it kind of like bleeds out <laughs> a little bit more mm-hmm. or like, I'll see the, like the publicity team from Riverhead. They, they're on my uh, floor and I'll see them all like dressed up super nice and like going out somewhere. And I was like, Oh, so they're going somewhere nice. I'm, you know, going to the gym. <laughs> um, I think, you know, there was, yeah, recently they went to like the premiere of The Girl on the Train, I think. Oh, wow. Um, and then, you know, there's like, you know, the Knopf Double Day, like 100 year party, mm-hmm. and like Penguin will have very nice parties, um, but not so much at Target Parachute. <laughs> So tell us about your, you know, aha, this is it moment. The moment that you were sitting there and like the the universe was like coming towards you and everything was perfect in publishing. Oh man. Um, I think I kind of have that moment every time I like really get to dig into an edit and especially when an edit comes back and like, it's so clear, like you and the author on the same wavelength, because first, like, first of all, when I'm editing, it's just... I finally like get into a group because so often um, what you're doing in the office is not editing. Um, you're doing that outside of the office. Uh, so to like really get into an uninterrupted space where like it just feels natural and everything, you're very fully immersed in this thing. Um, that's a great kind of aha, like everything's just kind of lining up for you because it just feels right. Um, and then, yeah, when you really, really connect with an author and it's clear like your suggestions translate even if your suggestions are super vague or like maybe try this or maybe try this I don't know and then they come back with something amazing like that's always just like a wonderful lucky kind of serendipitous feeling I love it you know there's like these theories with energy you know that when energy comes together and it's like meant Mm -hmm. to be that that energy just flows and that's I've heard that in, in numerous podcasts and, you know, and I feel like that's something that's really interesting is that you can, you can push, you can push, you can push against this publishing world, but you mm-hmm. often hear that, that the book that gets through is the right work. It's right. The energy and the right group of people. And that's what launches careers, you know? And I think that's yeah. interesting. What do you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk? Uh, going back to the idea of like publishing as monolith, publishing as, you know, this very glamorous idea. Um, I would just want everyone to know that like everyone is on your side, um, whether that's your agent or your editor or the people in production and design and sales, like everyone's on your side. Um, I think it's easy to forget that when you're in the thick of things, um, whether you're, you know, querying or busy in the middle of edits or you're getting feedback um, from your sales team or like you're working on your cover. Like there's a lot of opinions flying around. I think in the middle in the middle of fighting for this thing that you love and you put so much of yourself into, it's easy to forget that everyone wants you to succeed. Um, that's what we're here for. No one is here because they don't want to work on things that they love and because they don't want those things to do well. But I think that is something that gets lost sometimes. Can you imagine someone being like, yeah, I want to make $30,000 a year to screw up books. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's again, something that's like, I, I have to like remind people every now and then is like, it's always really important to me that my authors know that this is a partnership and including that, and that includes the agent too, um, and everyone else in the house in our imprint. Um, they are not like this 
other like entity that we're like pushing against because like, oh, well, like you just won't do this thing that we want. Like we always want to give you everything that you want, but there's sometimes reasons that we don't or we can't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it is a business, you know, and yeah. I feel like writers forget about that because until you start making money as a writer, it's not a business. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and that's, and that's something that that's, I think for so many writers, it, it's, it's, it's not a business. It's a baby, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like this yeah. is a baby and you treat a baby differently than you treat a business. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of weird emotions and, and, you know, and I feel like the more we can say to the world, Hey, you know, we are all in this together. Let's mm-hmm. work together. Like, and, and, and bringing to those relationships, you know, common courtesy and, right. you know, positivity in a stress, mm-hmm. stressful situation, I think is really important. And just assuming yeah. people are there to help you versus assuming yes. people are, you know, personally deciding to not get back to you quickly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I always try to tell people, like, I never want to tell you no. Like, I'm never, like, delighted to tell you no on something. If I'm telling you no on something, it's probably because someone else told me no when I, like, when I ask them. And I try to push back where I know I can. And if, if we can't, then I try and find a compromise. But um, the other person needs to be open and willing and knowing that, you know, we're all trying to give them the closest thing possible to, like, what will make them happy. Because if you're not proud of the finished product, like, that's not great for anybody. It's true. Tell us a little bit about the all-important platforms. Say a writer had a great idea, but he's starting from scratch. What are the next, what are the best next steps? So social media platform when it comes right. to nonfiction. Yes. Yeah. Say you've got this great idea, but no platform. What do you do next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that is, it's tough to say, like, there's no, like, one path to platform for sure, um, because it kind of depends on what the project is and who the people are. But I think a good general rule is to, like, find, like, you're, you've invested all this time into forming this great idea um, what's the community for that? Um, and find that community, find those people and start reaching out to them, like ingratiate yourself in that community, talk to those people, interact with them, support their stuff. Um, and eventually like that starts, that starts being paid back to you because you're put the, all the great energy that you put into that will come back because people will support you. You'll learn from them. Um, this happens a lot with parenting authors, um, that we have, they, you know, they ended up, they'll end up meeting each other or some of our creative authors, they meet each other and then they just start like pipping each other's work. Like they'll recommend authors to us. And so that's a great way to start. And then of course those people will talk about you and like people who are connected to them. And then it's just kind of like a degrees of separation where people start coming to you from places like you have no idea where they came from. And then also just write um, if it's something or put your work out there. If it's writing, then go and find a place where you can write, even if it's creating your own blog at first and then moving on to, you know, a site like HuffPo or BuzzFeed or My Body Green. Um, And if it's art, like put your art out there, like make an Instagram account. If you're an artist who wants to like have a book formed off of your art, I would say keep your art fairly separate from your personal Instagram only because that's just a very 
ease, that makes it so much easier for me when I go in and say, okay, here are your numbers. I can prove that like, okay, these like 2000 people are actually here for your art and not for pictures of your brunch. (laughs) So have you seen platforms work negatively for writers? Sometimes, um, and this is something that again will happen sometimes in like the parenting space where it's a big platform, but there's a, it's a very vocal engaged community. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's disagreement with what someone's saying, then that can kind of come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've had books where someone expresses an opinion that might be controversial to a certain subsect of their community and then their Amazon reviews just kind of get shot um, because all these people kind of pile on. And that's unfortunate. But generally speaking, um, I've not seen having a platform work against somebody as long as, as it's in the right thing. Like you can't be saying, you know, I want to write this book about the psychology of selling. But, you know, like... I have a hundred thousand followers for my uh, like knitting Instagram. <laughs> like that's not that there's no correlation there. That's not going to help us. Well, I think it's so interesting that in today's society with a computer and an iPhone or whatever, you can brand yourself however you want to be. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much opportunity out there for creatives, for experts, to um, build that tribe and build that community of, mar- of, of soldiers that are going to support you, mm-hmm. you know? And so I feel like it is, should be a part of a conversation um, when you look at creatives that, you know, like you can't just be a creative without a tribe sometimes. Like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the bigger the tribe you have, the better your chances are to write that great breakout nonfiction book. Right. That's got to be so hard for introverts, though, who just want to, like, hang out, be inside, write stuff. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because it kind of goes both ways. Um, so, you know, probably, like, the kind of um, platform that works for, like, a business book where there's a lot of speaking, there's a lot of conferences involved and in kind of, like, proving that you have this record of being an expert. Um, then you have a lot of the more creative authors that we have, and a lot of them are introverts or are, you know, like they have their anxiety issues and like um, depression issues and all of that gets funneled into their work. And that's how that's expressed. Um, And because they're so introverted um, in person, they tend like they really kind of bloom online Mm. because they really connect with people on Instagram or Twitter or Tumblr. um, And so much of more of their personality comes out that way. Um, and then people, you know, fall in love with their work and also the person because those things are so closely connected. Um, and often like some of the biggest followings we have, the most dedicated followings are for those kinds of people where they might not be extroverts, but they put so much of themselves out there that people just really, really connect to them in a personal way. I love that. Yeah, me too. That makes my social media teacher, you know, heart sing. So, Amanda, tell us about something, like, what is the thing writers fear the most, and what's the real story? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think, I'm sure this is something that anyone would say, but I think it's going to be rejection, um, or 
framing that differently, failure or how they view a rejection as a failure or whatever, um, like your book not selling well as a failure. Um, and, you know, those things are, you know, definitely upsetting, of course. Um, I think it's very reasonable to be, you know, dejected and upset after you get a rejection or your book doesn't sell well and say your publisher doesn't want to do your next one. But also, like, the world keeps turning. Um, and also, you know, there's so many reasons for those things. Um, you know, someone turns down your book and it's so, so often it's not even that, you know, they, it might not be for them personally, to their taste. Um, it's so subjective in that sense. And then it just might be that, like, you know, I constantly get submissions where I'm like, you know, I think this is great, but I don't actually do this kind of book. Like, we don't do this kind of book so I can't serve you well. Or um, I think that this kind of book will succeed better at an indie publisher than a big five. Um, so I think you should consider going to a smaller publisher because they have a better sense of how to develop and market this into something that's really going to do well. Um, so so I'll, often I'm turning people away because I want them to go somewhere better for them. And then, yeah, if your book doesn't sell, like, that's fine. It, there, there's no predictor of how that works. We've had books that have all the marks of what should be a successful book, and they tank. Um, we've had books that should have been very small, and they've really, really kind of blossomed. Uh, and no one can predict that, and there's always another idea. There's another person who's going to be excited about that idea, um, and yeah, you know, like what we have this one book called Zeus Grant's Stupid Wishes, um, and it's this humorous retelling of, uh, world myths. And, you know, when it first came out, it didn't really, um, hit cause it's so hard for humor to really find its audience. And then someone posted a picture of the, t uh, table of contents on Tumblr. <laughs> and all of a sudden there was like one of our like top 50 selling books for just like weeks and weeks and weeks, um, but you can't predict that, but, you know, it found its audience finally, but these things just happen. And who knows if we would have done another book if that hadn't happened. I love the idea of this book tumbling along, <laughs> you know, and then just finding it into people's hearts. That's just the mm -hmm. space to, and thank you so much. This was so much yeah, fun. Thank you so much, Amanda. Yeah. Thank you guys. We're thrilled to have you. One last question. If I was mm -hmm. to break into Penguin and climb through the vents and <laughs> jump down and somehow have the encoder key to get into one of your computers, would I find a magic formula that you plug things in into to decide how many copies you think a book is going to sell? <laughs> no pressure um, there. <laughs> well, not really. We have well, we have a PNL system and that's about the closest you get to that. Awesome. Well, thank you seriously so much. And, and everyone should check out Amanda's class, Nonfiction Basics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nonfiction Basics. It's going to be like Nonfiction 101 because, you know, I think, I mean, Jessica was wonderful enough to ask me to teach this. And I think it's so um, the Internet's information for publishing and how to get started is so often very focused on fiction that um this is going to be just kind of your crash course in like the very beginnings of what even qualifies as nonfiction. how do you like decide on your project um how do you 
make your project the best it could be so that an agent is interested in, and then an en- editor is interested. We'll talk about platforms some more um, and just things like that. And then um, we're going to do a discussion group on December 15th. Uh, and I think there's still spaces available for that. Everyone should sign up. It's going to be free and awesome. And as you can tell, Amanda's amazing and fun to hang out with. I think someone in Europe signed up for that and it's at like 2.30 a.m. their time and I'm kind of blown away by that. I appreciate that. I would not stay up until 2.30 a.m. to talk to me. (laughs) That's amazing. But see, if they think it's worth it, everyone here, it's totally worth it. (laughs) That's awesome. 